Good afternoon and welcome to the Peer Educator in Vodcast series, Ending the HIV Epidemic. My name is Rachel Finsky and I'm a librarian at the University of South Alabama's Biomedical Library. And I welcome you to our Vodcast series on HIV topics. Today, we will be discussing um, with Dr. Kohal, um, sexually transmitted infections. Dr. Kohal is from the New York City STD Prevention Training Center in Columbia University and we are so excited to have him as our guest speaker. We also have students from the University of South Alabama with us today, so welcome students. Um, I know this is gonna be an engaging session. We also have my colleague, uh, Debbie Sistero Seifer, who is with the AIDS Education and Training Center program out of the Northeastern Caribbean, um, where she is a, a public health nurse, um, educator, and liaison to the um, AETC. She has over 30 years experience um, working with those with HIV and AIDS, and she is also affiliated with Columbia University. Uh, she serves her communities in South Florida and the Virgin Islands. So uh, welcome Debbie, um, welcome students, and welcome Dr. Kohal. Oh, I think Debbie, you're on mute. Thank you, I was, thank you. Uh, I think uh, this is just such a great opportunity for us to uh, really have a great discussion today. Uh, and it is with great pleasure that I introduce uh, to you someone I've known for, for uh, many a year here. Uh, and uh, he is going to be uh, a robust speaker today and give us some great uh, tips and information. Uh, Dr. Alan Kohal is professor of public health and pediatrics at Columbia University uh, Medical Center and at the Mailman School of Public Health. He is a board certified uh, physician in pediatrics as well as adolescent medicine. And he has a private practice in adolescent uh, medicine and he contributes to the well being of young people, youth. Uh, he serves as director of the Harlem Health Promotion Center, which is devoted to reducing health disparities in communities of color. He is also director of Project STAY, which stands for Services to Assist Youth, which is uh, the New York State Department of Health funded program that provides confidential health services to young people that are affected by or infected with HIV or AIDS with support from the New York uh, City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, uh, he is leading an initiative to educate and link youth to care for PEP and PrEP. And we know that from last uh, week's podcast uh, that these are important prevention uh, strategies. If that's not enough to do, let me just say that Dr. Kohal is the principal investigator of the New York City STD Prevention Training Center, also known as the PTC. It's funded by the Centers for Disease Control, or the CDC, and it focuses on enhancing the skills of primary care providers to manage patients uh, with sexually transmitted infections. Dr. Kohal is also a principal investigator at the New York Presbyterian Site Project that he's involved with, uh, which is an NIH-funded research project called Link to Care. And this project is designed to improve screening for STIs and HIV, substance use, and subsequent linkages to healthcare services for justice-involved youth at high risk for transmission of HIV. I also want to mention that Dr. Kohal is a member of several professional organizations that include the American Public Health Association, the Society for Adolescent Health and Medicine, 
and the American Academy of Pediatrics. The list of Dr. Kohal's research accomplishment and the hours of time he spends caring for the sexual health of youth and young adults is profound. Uh, he is a gift to New York City and he is a gift to us today. Dr. Kohal, thank you so much for making yourself available to join us on today's podcast. I know the students uh, are going to really enjoy having you here to answer some very important questions that they've created just for you. Yeah, well, thank you, um, Dr. Um, Kohal, for being here. Um, I know that um, our students are going to be um, gaining valuable information. So before we get started, I just want um, to let people know in the audience that if you have a question for Dr. Kohal, you can um, put it in the chat box and we will get to it um, during our podcast session. But I first want to start off the questions, um, questions from our students and Connor. Uh, let's start with you. Absolutely. I would just like to say hi, Dr. Kohal, and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come speak with us on this very important topic. So my first question to you is, how prevalent is HIV in other STIs on college campuses? Well, Connor, thank you for that question. And Debbie and Rachel, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, participate in this, uh, in this event. So yeah, first of all, let's start with some good news. Over the last um, 30, 35 years or so, the uh, number of cases of HIV have actually decreased by over 70%. So prevention messages are working. People are getting on medication. And when they get on medication, they're less likely to spread the virus to other people. But we are still in the state where about over a million people are living with HIV today. Um, in many cases, living well if they're on medication. But some people aren't taking medication consistently, and that leaves them uh, with an elevated, what we call viral load. And if they engage in unprotected sex or other practices, they may spread the virus to other people. Um, also, um, what we know is about 14% of individuals living with HIV do not know their status and consequently are not engaged in preventative measures like taking medication. So as a result, about 35,000 people each year will become infected with HIV. And what we know is probably over half of that in number, about 57% are individuals uh, under the age of 35. So individuals who may be in college or who may be in grad school and so on. Specifically about 21% may be uh, young people under the age of, of 24. So college age uh, and graduate school age individuals are at risk for HIV. When we think about STIs, uh, the numbers are even more sobering. In contrast to HIV, where we've been seeing a decline with STIs, we're actually seeing an increase in the number of people being infected each year. Roughly about 20 million people in the United States and their territories will contract, will get one or more STIs each year. Probably about half, 50%, will be young people 15 to 24. The amount of dollars that taxpayers pay for uh, providing services, treatment, and dealing with the ramifications, the repercussions of SDIs is on the order of about 16 billion, that's billion with a B dollars each year. When we look specifically at college campuses, you know, there haven't been a lot of studies done, but one study that I thought was interesting looked at 10 college campuses and found that about 10% of young people's students at these colleges had an STI called chlamydia. 
which is one of the most common SDIs that we deal with, and an SDI that can have significant um, effects not only right now, but in terms of uh, providing complications later on. So all these numbers that I talked about are significant, but in reality, it's actually an undercount, an underrepresentation, because many STIs have no signs, no symptoms. People aren't even aware that they have them. So if they're not aware if there's nothing that's giving them a cue to action to go get checked, they may be dealing with this SDI for many years to come and may be spreading it to other people without their knowledge. So this is a serious um, health issue, health problem. Young people are in the crosshairs. So I think it's terrific that you're having this session today to you know, get more information, get more knowledge and uh, get that out to your peers. Yeah, thank you very much for your answer. Hi, Dr. Kohan. So glad you're here. I hope you feel well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. What is the earliest sign or symptom that a person has a transmitted infection? Nikisha, thank you so much for that question. Um, so we get that a lot. Um, so depending on the STI, um, there could be a number of different symptoms. So it could be a rash, it could be sores or blisters. Some SDIs will have sores or blisters that are uncomfortable, painful, like herpes. Others may have um, sores that are, un, uh, un, that are not painful, like syphilis. Um, it could be problems with urinating. You could be urinating a lot. You could be noticing pain or discomfort when you urinate. You may have uh, fluid or discharge coming out of your private parts or your rectum. Uh, depending on what kind of um, sex you're having. Uh, you could have swollen glands, lymph nodes under your arm or under your neck or in your groin area. Um, so those are some of the common signs of having an STI. Uh, but the most common sign is no sign at all. You know, upwards of three quarters of infections may not have any signs, any symptoms at all. So you could be living with something right now that you don't even know that you have. So that's why we really recommend uh, that people get checked at least once a year um, and even more frequently if they're having uh, multiple partners. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I have another question. Sure. Can a person have more than one infection at a time? Yeah, you're, that's a great question. Um, and we've had uh, patients who have come in with not only one, not two, but sometimes three or more infections. Um, and what's important to know, we're talking about STIs and HIV. There's a, there's a significant link between STIs and HIV. So the same way that you may acquire an STI or HIV from unprotected sex, uh, that's one way in which they could be linked. But also having an STI make, may make it easier for you to acquire or get HIV or give or transmit HIV to someone else. So we've had you know, situations in which someone has had uh, gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis, and then <clears throat> either at that visit or subsequently, we find out that that person may have HIV as well. So they are definitely linked. You can get more than one at the same time. Uh, sometimes we say birds of a feather flock together, which means that you, know, you could acquire more than one STI <clears throat> at a time. And also what's important is that when you get tested and treated for an STI, you really need to 
uh, get your partners uh, tested and treated as well. Because if, if you're treated and they're not, and you get together again, and they aren't using uh, appropriate protection, you may get that SDI back again. So repeat infections is a real issue as well. So particularly for um, uh, people with vaginas, um, the more times you get an STI like chlamydia or gonorrhea, you may be more at risk for um, having something called pelvic inflammatory disease or infection in your fallopian tubes, which could be uh, an issue which places you at risk for infertility or ectopic pregnancy, pregnancies in the tubes. Right, thank you so much. Hi, Dr. Cohen. So I have another question for you. And that is, when labs are done to test for STIs, what is included in the lab panel? And are there specific tests that people should be asking for? Great question, Connor. So first of all, the uh, myth that a lot of young people have is that when they go into a doctor's office or a clinic or an emergency room, that they're automatically tested for HIV and STIs. The reality is that, you know, they may get a urine test, they may get a blood test, but that test may not specifically check for STIs or HIV unless the uh, young person says they want to be tested or unless they have a conversation with the provider that, hey, I'm concerned about this, you know, please check me out. So for chlamydia and gonorrhea, uh, trichomonas, we usually check um, with a urine sample. And also depending on what type of sex an individual may have, we may do something called three-site testing meaning in addition to taking a urine sample, we may take a swab of, of the throat and the rectum to see if the organisms, the germs could be in those uh, settings. Uh, we may do a blood test to check for syphilis uh, and HIV and hepatitis. So those are the most common tests that we do um, and that should be included um, when, a, when, a, when a young person goes in for care, depending on the type of sex they have and the, and the partners they're involved with. Gotcha. So if you don't specifically ask for tests for HIV or STIs, nine times out of 10, they won't be given to you at your primary care clinic. Yeah, it really depends. It depends on where you go and um, how savvy your provider is. Um, if you, so let's say you're coming in and you need a checkup for a college. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you have those forms that need to be filled out. Uh, they may test you for tuberculosis. They may do a blood count. They may check your cholesterol. They may not test you for HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, or chlamydia. The urine test may be to check for diabetes or to see if there's blood in your urine or protein. It may not be a test for uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, or trichomonas. So again, this is why this is so great to, that you're doing this. We want uh, young people to be savvy consumers, to be informed consumers, and to be upright and, and, and forthright and say, hey, I'm concerned. Um, I have, I had sex recently or I've had sex in the past. I want to make sure everything is okay. You know, please check me out. So a lot of times young people come into the clinic and they say, I want to check up. I want to be sure everything's okay. But what they mean is I want to be checked for SDIs mm -hmm. on HIV. What the physician or the provider or the nurse practitioner or PA may hear is, okay, I just want to be checked out. So there may not be this communication. So you got to be specific and say, hey, I want to be checked for STIs and HIV. I gotcha. Thank you very much. Hey, Dr. Kohal. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. My first question is, what is the best practice to prevent contracting an STI? AJ, thanks for that question. 
So, you know, there are a lot of things that is, are within our power to do to reduce the high rates of, uh, H, of STIs and the lingering rates of, of HIV. So consistently using condoms, um, both external as well as internal condoms um, for sex and sex prevention is a great way of uh, reducing chances of uh, uh, being exposed to an SDI or transmitting or giving an SDI to someone. Also, there are significant viral infections that are out there, such as HPV, human papillomavirus, um, which can cause uh, cancer in, in some instances, and, and, H, and H, uh, hepatitis A and hepatitis B vaccines, which can cause liver problems. So we have very safe, very effective vaccines that young people can get to prevent uh, them acquiring these different kinds of infections, which could be spread by, by having unprotected sex. And as you all you know, talked about last time, uh, PrEP and PEP are very effective medications that can be used to uh, prevent uh, HIV. So thinking about all the different things that a, a person can do, um, you know, limiting the number of partners that they have, making sure their partners are checked out before having sex, getting themselves checked out, um, uh, reducing or minimizing use of alcohol or drugs um, during uh, sexual or before sexual encounters. Uh, and as we said, using condoms, getting vaccinated, um, getting regular checkups to uh, assess whether you know, they've been exposed. All those are things that a healthy and aware consumer can, uh, can use. Great answer. And while we're talking about condoms, um, apart from condoms and abstinence, are there any other methods of protection that are equally effective in preventing the spread of HIV and STIs? So, yeah, we know that PEP and PrEP are really good at preventing HIV. Uh, we know that birth control pills and long-acting <clears throat> long uh, contraception and depo, all those things are very effective at protecting someone who begins getting pregnant until they're ready to. They don't protect against STIs. So yeah, we really recommend and strongly endorse um, condoms. And again, one of the things that people oftentimes don't realize is that you need to use condoms if you're engaged in fellatio, uh, meaning penis to uh, oral contact. Um, again, people can have an infection in their throat and it can be spread through um, oral sex. So having uh, non-lubricated or flavored condoms utilized uh, during fellatio, I think is extremely important. Thank you. Hi. Okay, I have a question for you. Can you get an SCI through oral sex? Great question. And again, uh, a lot of people have uh, misinformation or myths about that. They may be protecting themselves during uh, penile vaginal sex or penile anal sex, but they may think that oral sex is safe or safer sex. And the answer is you can definitely get an STI through having oral sex. So when we have a client who comes in uh, with their permission, we'll ask about not only if they are having sex, but uh, how many partners they're having sex with or what kind of sex they're having, uh, how they're protecting themselves during different kinds of sex. And, you know, depending on the answers, we may do testing not only in the urine or the vagina or the penis, 
but also in the rectum and the throat as well. And we've found many times when someone has had negative tests in the urine, but have had a positive test in the throat. And if we hadn't done that uh, throat screen, we would have missed uh, a serious infection that not only could have affected that person, but also anybody else they uh, chose to have sex with in the future. All right, perfect. So my next question for you is, if someone is having a sexual encounter, is there anything one should look out for that may indicate the presence of an STI? Yeah, we get that question a lot. And unfortunately, most people don't have a microscope in their bedroom to uh, check to see what's going on. Um, you know, you can see if there are sores and bumps and so on. But most of the time, as we said before, people who have an SDI, they don't know it themselves. So if they don't know it, if they don't feel anything, chances are you're not going to see anything or feel anything either. So we really recommend that before you engage in an account with someone, if at all possible, both parties should you know go and get checked to make sure everything is uh, on the up and up. And, uh, and then use appropriate prevention you know, strategies such as you know, external or internal condoms and so on. Um, so, you know, a lot of times people think they can tell uh, by how someone walks or by how someone looks. Uh, my favorite uh, story was a young man who told me that he could tell if any of his female partners have uh, an infection. So I said, well, you know, I'm a doctor. I have, you know, 30 years of experience. I can't tell unless I do the test if somebody has an infection. What's your secret? So he says, well, I take a little earwax and I put it inside her vagina. And if she, you know, complains of discomfort, that means that she has something. And that's a person that I choose not to have sex with. So the litmus test for this young man to determine who has uh, an infection or not is, is the earwax test, which again is an urban or suburban or rural myth. Gotcha. I've heard it in many different uh, settings. It does not work. So you can't tell. And even mm. though I've been doing this for a long time, I can't tell in my waiting room who has what. So I ask the questions, I do the test, and when I find someone who has it, I try to get them treated as promptly as possible. Understood. Thank you very much. Hey, Doc. So then my next question, we kind of already touched base on it, but uh, I just want to clarify. So is it possible to have an STI and to not know it? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times people will come in and say, um, you know, I got this result back. Um, the test shows something. Uh, when did I get it? Who gave it to me? And again, for different infections, there may be something called an incubation period, meaning the time between when you were exposed and when you get uh, identified or diagnosed or when you start to have symptoms. Uh, in some cases, it could be, you know, several days. In other cases, several weeks. But you could have a, an STI in your body for months or years and uh, not know it uh, until you get you know, screened or tested. Um, the problem with that is some of these STIs, you may want to think about as ticking time bombs. So even though that they're silent, they're not showing any evidence to you or anybody else that there's a problem, it could be doing damage to your internal organs. So again, in young women, organisms like uh, chlamydia or gonorrhea 
can scar your fallopian tubes, which makes it difficult to get pregnant. Or if you get pregnant, that fertilized egg may get stuck in the fallopian tubes and create something called an ectopic pregnancy, which could be a life-threatening uh, condition. In men, chlamydia or gonorrhea in the testicles can scar the tubes uh, leading from the testicles out. Uh, that can cause uh, uh, infertility, um, difficulty in uh, getting a partner pregnant in the future. Uh, we know that organisms such as syphilis may initially have signs and symptoms. It could be a sore, it could be a rash, but those will go away. And people may, you know, be mistaken that they think, oh, I don't know what that was, but I'm glad it's gone. But that germ is still inside uh, the body like a ninja, you know, causing damage. And in, in the case of syphilis, it can cause damage to the heart, to the liver, to the kidneys, um, the brain. Uh, syphilis can be deadly if it's not treated promptly and with the correct antibiotics. So again, uh, going to the doctor, going to the clinic, going to Planned Parenthood, going to your student health center is really important on the regular to get checked just to make sure. So if you're going out someplace on spring break, when you get back, get yourself checked. You don't know what you picked up in Florida or the Panhandle or wherever you all hang out. Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to thank the students, uh, Connor, Nikesha, uh, AJ. Great questions. I wish we could talk about this for you know longer today, but wow, we've gotten some great information. And I'm wondering, Dr. Kohal, as we try to wrap up this very important session, what what is the main discussion points that you want us to walk away with so that we do have more control over our sexual health? Yeah, again, thank you all for having this session. Um, you all you know, may end up saving someone's life by mm -hmm. uh, getting this information out there. So I guess the key take home message is, you know, college students are in a, an environment where we encourage you to live, to, to learn, to explore, to challenge yourself. And that's fabulous. We want you to do that so that you can become uh, productive members of society. Um, it also extends to life experiences. We want you to have fun and to and to hang out with folks and to explore and so on. But we want you to do it safely uh, so that you can be as healthy as possible going forward. That means arming yourself with information um, and, and knowledge. It means protecting yourself, protecting your, your partners. It means spreading what you have learned uh, from other resources because you know some people may not have had this information, may not know about this. So if you're in a frat or a sorority or if you have roommates, you know, hey, let them know that this stuff is important, that you're going to get checked out on a regular basis. They should also, you know, share condoms, you know, do whatever you need to do to protect yourself as well as the people uh, that you care about. So STIs are really embarrassing to talk about. There's a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, people think that, you know, folks who have STIs are promiscuous or they're dirty or they're stupid or whatever. And that's far from the case. Anybody can get an STI if they are not being careful and if they um, are not protecting themselves. The smart people are those who get checked, get checked consistently, um, avail themselves of condoms. Uh, if they need PEPA prep, use that, uh, get their vaccinations, do as much as they can to protect themselves and uh, enhance their, their health and well-being. 
Wow, Dr. Kohal, thank you so much. This has been a really, really um, informative session and I appreciate you um, and all the students with their questions. Um, students are great. Yeah, it was very, very um, informative. And like you said, um, this can be disseminated to the, their peers and other people um, as well. So I'm really happy that we've um, had these dialogues and these vodcasts. Um, this will be the last vodcast of this fall semester, but next semester we're going to continue them on um, on other sexual health issues. So um, I hope everyone um, listens in um, to our podcast in the spring semester. Um, I also want to make sure that everyone knows um, that there's a lot of good information from the um, NIH. Um, they have a wonderful consumer database that provides information on um, the basics that we've talked about um, these past few weeks, um, medications and prevention. Um, it can be found on hivinfo.nih.gov. Um, so that's a, a really good, important source to to go to. Um, I also want um, everyone to know that um, you can follow us on YouTube in the spring. Um, we have youtube.com forward slash user forward slash USA Biomed. So, um, Rachel, can I just mention one other thing? Sure. Uh huh. So, you know, again, sometimes what happens is young people may not know where to go to get um, uh, sensitive sexual health services. Uh, so, fortunately, CDC has a STD clinic locator and a PrEP uh, clinic locator. So if you go on the CDC website, you'll find this little widget. Um, and if you put in your zip code, it'll tell you where in your community um, you can find clinics that can provide these kinds of services. So we've gotten a lot of referrals um, for that uh, from young people who are new to New York City or not sh uh, sure about where to go. Um, so that would be a, a great uh tool for you all to have and to share with your colleagues. Yes, thank you so much for um, telling us that um, because it's always important to, to know where to go because a lot of people don't know where to go. So thank you for that. Um, and I just want to um, have one last comment in that, um, you know, creating these dialogues will help um, us end the HIV epidemic in America. Um, We've got an opportunity to um, engage in conversations and um, educate people on um, HIV testing um, because we've come a long way since um, this all first began 40 years ago. So thanks, everybody. Um, Dr. Kohol, thank you so much. Um, students, thank you as well. And um, Debbie, as always, um, thank you for being my wonderful colleague on this project. So we will see everyone next spring. So thank you again. And um, everyone have a good day. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Study hard. <laughs> <laughs>